Good morning. Take God's word, turn to the book of Nehemiah. We're going to scan through chapter 3. If you're like some people, you like to read ahead and you looked at chapter 3 and said, well, it's just a list of names. Well, they're important. But we're going to spend most of our time in chapter 4. For those that are visiting with us, we are engaged in a series looking at Nehemiah and his project, not only to build a wall, but to restore Israel to its rightful spiritual place in history. When I think about the church, and of course, I put that down to GBC as well, we have to ask this question, whose church is it? I mean, whose is GBC? We're called the body of Christ. We say that Christ is the head. But really, is it his church? Or is it our church? Why does GBC exist? Well, we can give standard answers like, well, we exist for the glory of God. And we can look at John 13 and John 17 that talks about the two indicators to our world. One is love. And he says, if, if you love the way I love, the world's going to sit up and take notice of who I am. Not who you are, but who I am. In John 17, the prayer of unity that he prayed just before his crucifixion said, listen, Father, I, I want them to be one like you and I are one. Why? That the world may know that you sent me. So this distinctive love and this distinctive unity, we are Christ's church. And if we get it right, people see him, not us. Now, Nehemiah chapter 3, if you read it, they're rebuilding the wall. It's just really a list of names. But there's key words in this chapter. If you take the time to read it sometimes, the key words are like they built, they consecrated, they sat They repaired, and a key set of words is next to him. Because it's talked about this person, then next to him, then this person, then next to him, this person, then next to him, this person. But the vision was cast. And they were to build something that literally lied in ruin for 120 years. And in the past, they tried, but they couldn't come together. And when I look at this story, I look what's happening, I realize it's not uncommon for the church to have a difficult time working together for a common cause. Now, a lot of times our causes are usually centered on our preferences and our perceptions rather than God's glory. But here was a cause of rebuilding the wall. They couldn't get it done. And even here in the midst of this situation, look at verse 5 of chapter 3. And it says this, And next to them the Tukites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. So you see, in chapter 3, it's the names of people who were willing to stand for the cause. It's the names of the people that said, listen, We are here for the restoration of Jerusalem. Yes, the physical wall, but we are here for the restoration of God's people. Go back to its original purpose. Its original purpose was to display God's glory, to cause people to be blessed and come to Christ. 
Now that was future. So think about the gospel of Christ. When I say that, the gospel, what does it mean? What's tragic is that in America, so often it means that we pray a prayer, we get baptized, and that's it. That's the gospel. The gospel is a process of transformation. Now, I want to say a little more about that, but before I do, I'm going to show this video. It's really about a movie coming up about the American gospel. And I just want to show a little trailer of this. Let's watch the video. I was raised as a very devout Muslim in the United States. And the fact of the matter was, every time I connected with the Christian, I realized that they didn't know why they believed what they believed. All these other people called themselves Christian, but they never shared the gospel with me. I concluded either they didn't believe the gospel was true, or if they did believe it, they didn't care if I went to hell. How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? What does it mean to really be a Christian? If I ask somebody, are you a Christian? And they say, well, I'm trying. That's a way of saying, no, I'm not. I did that when I was a kid. I I said the sinner's prayer, but I wasn't changed. Should it not concern us that there is no such superstitious prayer in the New Testament? And I saw nothing to like about God. I didn't ever know that what we were talking about was a real man on a real throne. You know, I looked like this perfect golden child, but I was so dead. I was running out of options. I was running out of lies. And there was only one option, and that was to end my life. I've been a Christian for 30 years, but I never could figure out how the Romans beating up Jesus paid for our sins. And they don't understand that he was crushed under the wrath of God. Wow, like Jesus died for my sins? That's so convenient for me. I don't have to go to hell, but I'm going to go do my own thing, (laughs) which is not the gospel at all. What do you think happens when we die? We're going to be fine. You're amending the gospel, the Christian message, so that it's palatable. The gospel message is offensive. It's only when I understood what I actually deserve for my sin that the good news truly was good news. There's nothing more offensive than being told that you're not a good person, and there's nothing you can do to make yourself a good person. The message gets distorted a lot, especially in America with affluence. You are responsible to keep yourself happy. You've been accused of getting the gospel wrong. I'm strong. I'm healthy. I'm blessed. I'm favored. I am a victor, not a victim. I'm going to live a long, productive, faith-filled life. It's not about us. The cost of accepting the gospel could be your family, but it's worth it. We can't have salvation if we don't believe the right gospel. I think there are a lot of us in the world who call ourselves Christians, and yet we don't really follow his ways, and somehow we've made it so that that's okay. The way that these people spoke lined up with the way they lived. We need to check ourselves and check our heart. Oftentimes, we find ourselves sitting in pews or even coming to church in order to get something from Jesus but not get Jesus himself. I've got to share this news. The gospel of Christ is not that in following him, everything goes right, but that he is enough no matter what happens. 
If I want to believe God for a $65 million plane, you cannot stop me. The reality is you can't be a Christian without being born again. You don't have to be born again to want to be wealthy, and therefore you don't have to be converted to be saved by the prosperity gospel. The most beautiful message and truth of the gospel is that through Jesus, we get God. Through Jesus, we get to be satisfied in Him. A great misconception throughout Western culture has been the pastors minister locally, missionaries minister abroad, and the, everyone else just goes to church. That's a lie. And it absolutely undermines the gospel. Did that get you thinking? You know, again, I think a lot about Christ Church. I guess that's what pastors do. And I think about the broader picture of what we've become and how we define success and what we lost. I think about are we displaying God's glory or are we seeking to impress the glory of men and women? I guess I got to be careful about saying that because I'm told on Facebook they now have 71 choices for gender classification. So I'm including all those people and are we trying to impress them? And when I think about GBC, and I read chapter 3 this week, I ask myself this question. Who will stand and work? Who will build and sacrifice for God's glory in the corner of our world? And I look at GBC and I see the light that's being shown in the addiction community. I see the light that's being shown in our kids' classes. I know in our kids' classes we don't have all the bells and whistles, the sliding boards and the video games. But I got to tell you, in my 39 years, I've never seen a more committed group of teachers. I think about the light being shown in our senior group who are actively engaged in multiple levels of people groups. But it's interesting to me how we, the church, We who believe that death has lost its sting. We who believe in eternal life. It's interesting why we would live a risk-adverse life. If anyone ought to have passionate, purpose-driven, risky life for the gospel of Jesus, it ought to be the church. Now look at Nehemiah. He risked his life. We saw that. He's risking the lives of other people. We're going to be seeing that this morning and subsequent mornings. He left the safety and comfort of living in a palace for a hostile setting that could cost him his life. Why? Because he had a passion, he had a vision to restore the glory of God among the nations. Now, I love what scripture says. In James chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, just listen to this. You can follow on the screen. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For it, for you are a mist. You're a vapor, some translations say, that appears for a little time and then vanishes. You know what James is saying? All this stuff you're stressing about, it's a mist. It's a vapor. It's going to vanish. 
Where's my retirement going to get me? It's a mist. It vanishes. Am I going to pass that exam? It's a mist. It's going to vanish someday. Am I fit and healthy? Am I going to live to 120? I mean, if you want to, go for it. I don't. But that's a myth. It vanishes. Now, it's a very important mist. And what you and I do during that mist will determine eternity for many people. And what we need, what we desperately need is a church that has eternal perspectives so to maximize the temporal process that we call life. God has positioned us in this time. And he's given us gifts, he's given us talents, and he's given us stuff for the purpose of serving this generation. And we are called not to run from the world, but we are called to run into the world. Let me read John 17, Jesus' prayer. Father, I do not pray that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your word, for your word is truth. As you sent me, I send them. Those are the words of Christ. And we live in a broken world. And we live in a world full of injustice. And we live in a world full of hopelessness. And we are called to bring light, mercy, justice, and hope. I guess what I'm saying is this. The purpose of life The purpose of a Christian, the purpose of the church is not to arrive at death safely. Safety is not the goal of a Christian. Freedom is. Jesus said, the truth shall set you what? And we are called to live a radical life. So chapter three is a list of names who said, we're going to stand, we're going to risk it all, we're going to commit to serve. And even in the midst of that, there's this group of people who says, you know what, we're not going to do this. That's every single one of our choices here this morning. If you're alive, if you are breathing, then you're going to stand or you're going to sit. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter four. In verse 1, so they're building the wall. They're standing. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. That's progressive anger. And he jeered at the Jews. Note what he said. In the presence of his brothers, and, and you note there's what now? There's an army of Syria. So he's shouting at people at the wall. He's saying loud enough so they can hear. He's talking to people that want to hear him spout his ignorance. And also he's an army over here waiting. Talk about intimidation. What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, yes. What they are building, if a fox goes up on it, it will break down their stone wall. Opposition from the outside, they attacked three levels. One, they ridiculed the people. 
Two, they ridiculed the work. And three, they ridiculed the material. Now, when they ridiculed the people, note the word feeble. The word feeble means withered and miserable. They looked at them and said, you know what? You guys don't have the strength or the talent to finish this. Now, I know there's some people here this morning thinking, you know what? I, I'm too old. I don't have gifts. I, I can't stand because I have nothing to give. See, that's a lie of Satan. I want to encourage you to reread and reread and reread a passage I'm about to read because how the world looks at things and how God looks at things is very, very different. First Corinthians chapter one, listen to these verses. First Corinthians one, verses 26 through 28. For consider your calling. Now the word consider means to really sit down and evaluate, to think, to process, you know, to put everything on the board, say, okay, you know what? God has called me. And you start doing the pros and cons and everything else. Here's what he says. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I like to read that probably at least once a week when I think I can't and I'm not good enough. We live in a celebrity culture that puts people on stage and we worship celebrities and we give them far more power than they have. Who does God use? He uses the non-celebrities. He uses the weak, the feeble that Sam Ballot and Tobiah are mocking. So if you think you can't stand, then you are convinced of the lie that Satan is spreading. Hear the word of God in this. Not many were wise. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble. But God chooses the foolish. He chooses the weak. He chooses what is low and despised. They ridiculed the work, and there's a series of questions here. Of course, the implication is that they're saying, you know what? You're going to quit real soon. You're going to get tired, and you're going to quit. But there's a critical one in the midst of that where he says, will they sacrifice? Now, when you look at the original language, what they were doing was first they took a shot at the people. Then they took a shot at Jehovah. And what they're saying is, you know what? Your God's not even going to help you. He hasn't helped you. Implication for 120 years. It's been laying in ruin. What's the difference today? Now, there's always going to be people to critique you. There's always going to be people say, you know what? You're not building that wall the right way. After all, I I went to school and I know how the school told me to do it. You know what I love about our kids' teachers? It's not that they do it according to what some people would call the right way, but they do it according to their heart. They go in there and they love the kids. And I'll take a teacher who loves kids any day over someone who has an education who thinks they know how to teach kids. Because it's all about the love, isn't it? There's going to be people come along and say, you know what? We never did it that way. 
There's going to be people that will go on the offense and say, well, I guess our way's not good enough, so we're just going to quit. What concerns me often in church is that we're afraid to make mistakes. Why? Because someone's always there to point them out. So what I'm going to tell you right now is this. If you choose to stand, if you choose to engage, somebody will critique you and they're going to point out that you're not doing it right. Just get over it. That's their problem. That's not yours. Now, are you going to make mistakes? Absolutely. We're human. You acknowledge it, you move on, and you change. I guess I always talk about the freedom to fail. And it's important when we're working for the effort. I remember the first time I got involved working with sexual abuse people and the person that I identified and they confessed to me and I said, I'm going to send you off to a counselor. And they said, no, no, no. They said, you know, and only you know, and you're stuck with me. I says, but I have no training. I have no idea. They says, I don't care. You're not going to send me to a counselor. So I made a deal with this person. I says, listen, if you're willing to walk with me and I with you, I'm going to read books. I'm going to get training. I says, but I'm going to make a ton of mistakes. So understand that going through this, I'm just really going to, to mess up a lot. And if you're okay with that, I'll walk with you. And that was the deal we made. I think often we lose perspective that God desires to be creative. And God desires to use people who many times are different than us. And they don't have our background and upbringing and education. They don't have our advantages and our families. They might not have our talents, but their heart is seeking after God and they're in love with Jesus. And Jesus says, I can use that kind of person. I think we forget that God uses people that we normally would not think could be used. I think we forget that some of the greatest workers in the kingdom of God are people that you and I do not know and will never meet. And they're not going to make the news of the media. They're not going to have a video on YouTube. In the midst of their circumstances, situations, they just live out Christ every day and, and they're generous to a fault. And they use what God has given them. You know, I love the story in Luke 21 where everybody's kind of watching the offering time and the offering turned into what it shouldn't have turned into, but a show. People who had a lot of money came in and they made sure they had a lot of coins with them and they dumped it in. And people says, wow, look at those people. They're generous. And nobody noticed the little widow who came in and dropped in two small copper coins. And Jesus says, listen. They gave out their abundance. They weren't generous. She gave everything she had. She is the kind of person I want you to become. So I guess what I'm saying is don't be surprised if someone ridicules your work. It's going to happen. If you stand, someone is going to stand on the sideline and they are going to speak ill. And let me say this as well. If you feel the need to ridicule someone's work, ask yourself why. 
You know, what is it in me that is causing me to confront a situation where they're just trying to help? They ridiculed the people, they ridiculed their work, and they ridiculed the material. Now, what I find interesting is, while they talked about the broken stones and everything else, you know what they left out? (laughs) They left out that Nehemiah was using the king's wood from the king's forest. I mean, he had the best of the best materials. So they just kind of inadvertently left that aside and didn't talk about the private lumber yard. They made fun of them using stones that laid in rubble year after year after year. And yes, some were unusable due to the fires and being broken down from the destruction of the wall. But they ridiculed the people, their work, and their resources. So what was Nehemiah's response? Look at verse four. He prays. Shocker. (laughs) He prayed and asked God, and this is the third time. It's not going to be the last. But listen to this prayer. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunts on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt And let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Not a real nice, compassionate prayer, is it? You know, he's saying, say, Lord, just, you know what? Take care of them for me. Give them exactly what they're giving us. So we built the wall. And the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Now, this prayer kind of follows the line of what they called the imprecatory psalms uh, in the book of Psalms. And what we have to realize is they're not, and Nehemiah's not praying for personal revenge. Rather, what he's praying for is official vindication. He's saying, God, display your glory. And the interesting little phrase he talks about there, I don't know if you notice, he says, where they plundered in a land where they are captives. See, they thought they were free. But Nehemiah points out, you know what? They're just captive. They're just captive to a, a group of idols and people. And they're captive to their own addictions for power and control. But his response was he prayed and asked God. Secondly, you notice he did not detour, detour from the work. It's like pray and get back to work. Pray and keep working. He did not dwell on their words. And that's hard to do, isn't it? When people say things to us, we just kind of twist them over in our minds. I know the little phrase. We all know it, right? Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will what? Yeah, and usually little kids, when they say they're saying it with tears running down their face. Words do hurt. But here's what Nehemiah says. It's no time to defend or focus on them. And he was not conceited. He was not concerned about being popular. He wasn't conceited to think, you know what? I can get all these people on my team. No, he had people that stood. And that was his focus. He had people who refused to stand. And we're going to see that inside Israel, there's another kind of enemy. He had people on the outside refusing to stand. But he focused in on the team that was willing to stand. I know you probably remember me saying this. 
And I think what's tragic with the American gospel today is that many churches and many Christians are more concerned about being liked than being a follower of Jesus. And if that's true, you'll never build a wall. If that's true, you're never going to build revival. But here we see half the wall was in place. So what happens now? Look at verse 7. When Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites, you see the crowds getting bigger, and the Ashdodites heard the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem were going forward, and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, what? They were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In fact, what you're going to see later on in this chapter is they had a spear in one hand and they had a tool to rebuild the wall in the other. I mean, Nehemiah understood that this was just not a physical war going on. It was a spiritual war. And that's why he prayed. But the physical word is he posted a guard and he encouraged the people to pray tools and weapons. And so I ask you this morning, what's your prayer life like? What do you pray for? Physical bodies? Relief from pain, comforts? Do you pray for the work? Do you pray for the rebuilding of the wall? Do you pray for the rebuilding of the spiritual essence of the church? At a recent town hall meeting, I painted a picture for everybody. And I said this. Imagine a full house at GBC. Imagine every single seat in this place. And I asked the question, who's sitting next to you? Now, we are called to restore and repair. And in restoring and repairing, we have to discern what God is already doing. Now, the other option is we can think of something up to do and ask God to bless it. But it's better to think about what he is doing to enter into that where he is already blessing. Amen. I talked about those in recovery and restoration from addictions and sin. I mean, God has blessed us with their presence. They are sitting next to you. Other kind of people sitting next to you are people and believers who are engaged in mission. There are people who are standing with a spear in one hand and a tool in the other, and they're rebuilding the wall while everybody on the outside is saying, you can't do it, you can't do it. Fox is going to knock the wall down. We're going to plot against you, and when you see the fierceness of our army, you're going to quit. I talked about another group of people. I call them not yets. You know who the not yets are? There are people that have not yet accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. There are people who have not, accept, not yet accepted the process of transformation. And transformation is a process. It's not an event. But see, with the not yet, this is where things get messy. Because not yet struggle with a long list of things. They struggle with their sexual identities. They struggle with their addictions. They struggle with success, image, money. They've been sold a long list of lies. But see, the not yet's are people we are willing to walk in grace and love. And again, that grace and love transformation is a process, not an event. 
And then I talked about the diverse unity that's going to exist. Diverse unity economically, politically, ethnic origins, age, kids, youth, young adults, couples, singles, older generation. And you know who the older generation is? It's anybody older than you. But this unity is found in Christ. And unity is built on a cause. But I noticed, and I, for those that were at the town hall meeting, I don't know if you noticed this, there's one group I did not put on the list. But they're here. It's believers who are unengaged. It's believers who prayed the prayer, who got baptized, and are waiting for Jesus to come. They think discipleship is showing up on a Sunday morning to put in the time. They think discipleship is about their comforts and their preferences. But people, if we're going to build, we have to allow innovation and creativity. We have to see where God is leading us and we have to align our prayer life. And we pray that God will fill this place with people who are hungry to display his glory. And we got to align our policies. Have you ever noticed some churches won't let people in that God has led into his kingdom? <laughs> we got to align our programs. It's not about peasing people. It's about transformation of lives. We got to align our budgets. Now, let me say something about the budget. Um, can I just unload my heart for a second? Uh, I I shared this with the board. Well, I actually shared more with them than I'm going to share with you, okay? I said, I've been at this for 39 years. And there's something I'm very tired of, okay? There's something I I know what's going to happen. I expect it to happen. And it happens at the end of every summer. I'm like, why does it have to be this way? If you notice, we usually go into the summer and our budget is really on par. I mean, we got enough money, we're meeting our expenses, we're meeting our budgets. It's strong, it's healthy. Then three months later, at the end of the summer, what happens? We're behind $30,000. I mean, that's the current state of our budget expenses. And I think to myself, wait a minute. People give before the summer. Yes, they take vacation. But do they take vacation from giving? I know Bev and I don't. Whatever we choose to give every week and every month, we just keep going for 12 months. It's not like, well, I needed that for vacation, so I can't give it. I mean, I I look around and see what God is doing at GBC. And I got to tell you, I'm amazed at the transformation of lives. And I want to lay down the challenge for you to get involved and do something about that. I'm going to lay down the challenge to align yourself and ourselves with the 29 one another concepts in Scripture. There's 29 New Testament. It's a great study. I mean, this is how we treat each other. And part of that is generosity. So if you want to do my heart good, I got to tell you, I, I, I take things personal. And when I see we're $30,000 behind, that causes me some distress. It shouldn't, but it does. And then I think about what I can do. And I, of course, I can't come up with the whole 30000 uh, but if you want to do my heart good, just kind of eliminate that next month, okay? Find out what your part is in that. What I'm trying to say is this. God is up to something. Amen? And either we are a part of it 
or we sit on the sidelines building our own little kingdom. In our own little kingdom, we find reasons why we can't rebuild, restore anything. And we're like the nobles who refuse to serve. And so we sit on the sidelines and we critique everybody else who's out there working and building and making mistakes. And yet the wall rises. And what we're going to discover in Nehemiah is that if you can't build a physical wall together, if you can't come together in unity and repair and restore a physical wall, you will never build a spiritual revival in the hearts of people who are broken and in ruin. And that's the message of this book. It's not about the wall, but it's about spiritual revival that comes after the wall is rebuilt because they realize that, yes, God can. So, I've said enough. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to sing a song in closing. But I want to make a challenge to three, three ways this morning as they come. There are those people here this morning that need an introduction to Jesus. Okay? You are part of the not yet. And I want you to think about that. And I'm going to come back to you because... If you want to make that choice this morning, we're going to have you stand. We're going to bring someone with you so you sit down and can understand that, okay? So think about that. If you're one of the not yets and you want to become one of Jesus' followers, we're going to ask you to do that. Two, there are some of you here this morning that need a reintroduction to Jesus. You prayed the prayer, you got baptized, but somewhere along the way, you got distracted, by idols, by other kinds of things, by circumstances, by situations. You'd allow offenses into your heart and you just kind of walked away. You need to re-up the commitment and stand and say, you know what, I'm back in the game. Then the third group is those who are willing to stand and build. We have a lot of those here. And I want to encourage you to keep standing and to keep building. And as we're going to find out next week, yes, there's times we just want to quit. We're discouraged. But the cause is too great. Amen. So let me go back to the original. If you're here this morning and you've never been introduced to Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to stand up. We're going to put somebody with you and we're going to make this right right now. So just stand to your feet. I'm going to step back so I can see a little better with the lights. There we go. Anyone? Let's stand together and let's worship in Christ alone. Everything, everything is about Him.